And good morning to everyone who's listening on the Grace Abides podcast. We are glad that you are with us today. Uh, hope everyone is doing well and uh, had a good night's rest and staying safe. Today is Cinco de Mayo, and we are in our second part of the theology of C.S. Lewis. So uh, yesterday we gave a little bit of uh, a background on uh, C.S. Lewis's life, and today we're going to start taking a look at his theology. Okay, so today we are uh, looking at the theology of C.S. Lewis. We are looking at Jesus, what C.S. Lewis had to say about Jesus. Um, so the question is, what are we to make of Jesus? And so for C.S. Lewis, he, w- he studied Jesus, and um, his first response to that is, well, it's not so much what we are to make of Jesus, but what Jesus is to make of us. Jesus is God. uh, And for us to say, what are we to make of Jesus? It would be like the fly on the back of an elephant to say, what are we to make of this elephant? We should be more concerned with what is Jesus to make of us. But if we look at Jesus, there's two things to reconcile for C.S. Lewis. So the first is the admitted depth and sanity of his moral teachings. When Jesus taught uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and in other places about morality, Everyone can agree what Jesus had to say about morality was sane and deep. And yes, that is absolutely things we need to do, things we need to be concerned about. What Jesus had to say when he taught was absolutely 100% on the mark. Jesus was always right there. The second is the appalling nature of his theological remarks. The things Jesus said theologically was just appalling for somebody who wouldn't believe in him. Here are some of his appalling theological remarks. He forgives sins. First off, to say you have the ability to forgive sins is quite, it's quite a claim. Uh, but, okay, so what he is saying is that, okay, if, if you, George, did something to hurt uh, Tony over here, uh, I have the power to say to you, George, that you are forgiven for what you've done to Tony. No way. It's up to Tony to decide who is forgiven and when they are forgiven. For you to say you have the power to forgive the sin that somebody committed against someone else is appalling. Only God can do that. So for Jesus to claim that he can do that, others would say that, no, that's you are you are out of, out of your mind. Jesus claims to have sent the prophets. Now, other religions claim that Jesus is was a prophet. If Jesus was a prophet, there's no way that he could have sent the prophets. So he says that he sent the prophets. And so if you're hearing this as a first century Jewish person who looks to the prophets and holds them in high, high esteem, and this person standing in front of you says, yeah, I sent them to you. It's like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Third, he claims to be the anointed. He claims to be the Messiah. He claims to have been sent by God for a specific purpose. Uh, that's just, I don't know if anyone has seen the new miniseries that just came out on Netflix, Waco, about David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. And for him, all these claims that he was making. Uh, but so, so one thing that is inconsistent, David Koresh claimed to have been the Messiah, claims to have been the anointed, but you look at his life and you look at the things he was teaching. What kind of things was he teaching? Well, he was teaching that every woman who's in here needs to be my wife. Okay, that's a bit inconsistent with the theology, inconsistent with the Bible, specifically the New Testament, specifically all of it. Um, And so 
when Je- when we say Jesus claims to be the anointed, the Messiah, well, you look and see what his teachings were because we could immediately count him out, right? If his teachings were opposed to what what we how we understand God, but Jesus's teachings aren't they're just completely sane. And you could look at you could look at Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven, and you can say everything that he teaches in there is right on. He is very sane in the things that he sees. He he makes sense in everything that he says. And then the fourth thing is he claims to be eternal. He said, before Abraham, I was. What would you say to somebody who claims to be eternal? I mean, we as Christians, we talk about our eternal life into the future, but Jesus claims to have an eternal life that spans back as far in the eternal past as we can go, as our minds can comprehend. And so for somebody to say that in front of you, you'd be like, you're a lunatic. And so for C.S. Lewis, that's what he came down to. Jesus, based on his moral teachings and theological remarks, must have been one of two things. He must have been God or a lunatic. There is no in-between. He produced three emotions in people. When, when people encountered Jesus, he pr- produced three kinds of emotion in them. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no lukewarm response to Jesus. Either people wanted to kill him or they wanted to leave everything behind and follow him. There's no lukewarm response to Jesus. We can't think, yeah, Jesus was a nice guy. He said a lot of good things, but I don't think he was the Messiah. They, that, for C.S. Lewis, that's not, a, that's not an acceptable response. It's either complete adoration or hatred and terror. Uh, you either love him or hate him. You're either with him or you're not. Uh, And so we look at the world today and we say, how can there be a lukewarm Christianity, a Christianity where people, they believe in Jesus, but they don't really follow Jesus? You know, where do we see that today? Where does, how how does that come, how does, I I think, I think that comes from a place of we, we don't know the scriptures. We don't know what the Bible says. We don't know what Jesus said. We don't know the things that Jesus did. We have this understanding of Jesus that comes from our pop culture or from other places, but not the Bible. And if we look at the Bible, we'll, we'll, we'd get a picture of Jesus that some of us might not like as much, but that we would understand who he was, who he is, and what he's calling us to. And that is so, so important uh, for us to understand if we claim to be Christians and if we want to follow Jesus with our lives. Continuing on with Jesus. The Immaculate Conception. C.S. Lewis wondered why it was so difficult for people to believe in the Immaculate Conception. People choosing not to believe in the Immaculate Conception yet believe in the feeding of 5,000. See, for C.S. Lewis, why is it easier to believe in the feeding of 5,000 than the Immaculate Conception? Why is it easier to believe in one miracle more than another? And for C.S. Lewis, he believed this. He believed that sex holds a place of honor in our society, that we revere sex in a way that we don't revere other things, that that we use sex to manipulate one another, that we use sex to sell things. I mean, if you're watching commercials and if you're seeing advertisements, you're seeing someone is trying to use sex to sell you on something. And there's even people who who worship sex sex, right? I mean, uh, you could go to, I mean, there's clubs all over America, right? Where people go to and they sit there and they look up on stage and all that stuff, right? I mean, it's, yeah, but it's, sex holds a place of, 
of, of honor in our society. And the immaculate conception is an insult to sex. And so that's one of the things that we hold on to. And we say, no, no, we're, we're not going to believe that. But C.S. Lewis said, the feeding of 5,000 is an insult to bakers. Because bakers say, how can you make bread by just giving thanks and then watching more bread come up? I mean, it would be an insult to bakers in the same way that the Immaculate Conception is an insult to sex. And so what he said was, the act of conception involves a microscopic particle from a man. So is it too much to say that God could provide that? Is it beyond our understanding of God to believe that God could provide that in the conception of Jesus. See, when God created Jesus, God was creating more than a human being, more than just an ordinary man. If you go back to Genesis, we talk about God created Adam from the dirt of the ground and then breathed the life, uh, the, the divine, you know, the spirit into us so that Adam could come. And, and we, we proclaim that and we talk about that on Ash Wednesday, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. Uh, and that we came from the dirt of the ground but for us, you know, we can believe that. We can hear that. We can say, yeah, that's, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But Jesus coming in this immaculate way, I don't know if I can, if I can believe that. But what we understand here is that God was not creating a normal human being. God was creating the, the human form of himself. God was creating the incarnate form of God's self in Jesus. And so, if we can believe God can do all these other things, then uh, for C.S. Lewis, why is it so hard to believe that God could do this too? Uh, and so uh, that was C.S. Lewis's argument for the Immaculate Conception. I know there's a lot of people who don't believe in the Immaculate Conception, and I'm not going to argue with people over it. I mean, to me, it's, do you believe Jesus is Lord? Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You know, that's, that's enough for me. If you don't believe in the Immaculate Conception, that's okay to, with me. I mean, I, there are certain things in the Bible that we don't, we don't have to agree on 100% of it, but we need to get the, the foundation right, the basics of it right, uh, in my opinion. That's kind of uh, where I'm at with it. So, um, okay, and then the final thing about Jesus that I'll say is the second coming. What C.S. Lewis had to say about the second coming. Uh, we do not and cannot know when Jesus will return. We do not and cannot know when the world will end. Specifically, as we talk now in quarantine with viruses and now murder hornets and all this stuff. I don't know if you've heard about these murder hornets that are coming. It's like you think that I mean, it's almost like the plagues, right? The end has to be near. The end has to be near, right? God has to be coming soon because of all this stuff going on. But C.S. Lewis says we don't know when the world is going to end. Now, imagine C.S. Lewis, a, a lot of the theological stuff that he wrote he wrote during World War II when London was being bombed and when, you know, it looked very dark. The days ahead looked very dark. There was, and so there, the world has always been on the edge, right? The, there have always been reasons for people to think, well, gosh, the end must be near. But for C.S. Lewis, he said, listen, we are characters in a play. We don't know what scene we're in or when the play will end. Only the author knows. And we expect that the author will have something to say to us afterwards. That's all we can. That, that's all we can know. That's all we can believe. Trying to figure out the rest is a waste of time because we just simply don't know. So there's no point in trying to figure it out. So that's what C.S. Lewis had to say about Jesus, the Immaculate Conception, and the Second Coming.
Okay, so let's let's go to the next section and talk about what C.S. Lewis had to say about faith. What does he have to say about faith? I think this is really important. Uh, it's important, although it's not consistent with Lutheran theology. Uh, I think there's pieces of this that are important. So what is faith? According to C.S. Lewis, faith is believing in a set of statements. We would say that faith is believing in the creeds, right? Believing in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, believing that the first creed of the church is Jesus is Lord. So our first, the faith is we believe that Jesus is Lord. Uh, and then as we expand upon that, you end up with the Apostles' Creed. Uh, he, C.S. Lewis said all human beings reject or accept all statements. Every day we hear things and we get to decide if that's if we believe it's true or if we don't believe it's true. If we believe it's true, then it's the whole news thing that's going on right now. Fake news, right? What news do we believe is true and what news do we not believe is true? Because both of it's out there. And so we get to we have to figure out what we believe and what we don't believe. C.S. Lewis said there is nothing moral or immoral about believing something to be true. And so faith then but uh, choosing to believe, you know, is uh, it's it's not necessarily a virtue, according to C.S. Lewis. He says, if we believe something, um, uh, we believe, if we believe something, not because we believe something, not because we want to or don't want to. We believe something because the evidence to believe it is either good or bad. So what is the evidence that you have to believe something, right? This is the the scientific theory, the hypothesis and said, it's all, what, what is the evidence support for C.S. Lewis, the evidence supported that Jesus Christ is Lord, and so that's why he believed. Now, this is where we as Lutherans would say, well, we believe because faith is, faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and so God has given us that faith. But for C.S. Lewis, he honestly believed that there was enough evidence to support that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God and is God, and so he became a Christian. So, he also said if a human being accepts something as true, it does not automatically mean that that human being has accepted that truth for the rest of their life, right? So, we can believe that something is true today, and then 20 years from now, we can believe that that's no longer true, okay? So, I, I think that this is probably an easy one for us to understand. If you think back to when you were a child, think about the things that you thought were true, and then as you became an adult, you said, well, okay, that's not true, right? So, our, our faith can change. Our belief, our understanding of what is true can change throughout over time. But here's what C.S. Lewis had to say about faith in God. If you say you believe in God, but do not have, but the evidence doesn't convince you, right? So you believe in Jesus, but there's just not evidence there to support your belief. Well, when something bad happens, when something bad happens in your life, when something difficult happens, or when, when, when a particular mood strikes you, what will you hold on to? What will you hold on to? And so I would say that what the argument C.S. Lewis is making is a good one. It's you should find the evidence to believe, to, you know, to believe what you believe so that when you do go through those difficult times, you have something to fall back on. Now, what the way, the sequence that he would say is you need to find that evidence first, then believe. I would say that faith seeks understanding, not the other way around. So, so now that you do believe, let me help you come up with the evidence that you need. Let me support that. So let me help you make sense of your faith so that when something bad happens, you have that to fall back on. You have a foundation of faith 
to fall back on. Let's, let's talk through it. Let's make sense of it. Let me tell you what the Bible said. Let me tell you what Luther wrote. Let me, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's, uh, let's make sense of it. Right. And so for, um, C.S. Lewis believed that doubt arises from our imagination and from our emotions. It, it comes from our emotions. Uh, and so for him, his, this is a direct quote, one must train the habit of faith to keep from wavering in these times. One must train the habit of faith to keep from wavering in these times. Again, it's, he's writing this at a very difficult time. England is in war, is at war with Germany in World War II. Bombs are coming. This is a very, but for us, you know, keep from wavering in these t- difficult times, these times of quarantine, these times of sickness, these, all these times, you know, whatever it is, one must train the habit of faith to keep from wavering. One must train in the faith, learn the faith, educate yourself, challenge yourself, ask difficult questions. You never know where you're going to end up, but you know, it's, it's important to ask the questions. Okay, so the last section we're going to cover today is what C.S. Lewis had to say about divine omnipotence. Divine omnipotence. So omnipotence means the power to do all or everything. How powerful is God actually? Uh, and so um, for C.S. Lewis, this was, uh, this was a, a difficult and deep thing that he had to, uh, that he was struggling with. And so, because he would talk to a lot of people who didn't believe, and this would be their thing. You know, we believe as Christian with God, all things are possible. But the problem for an unbeliever, bro, is to say, well, if, if all things are possible for God, then why didn't God, uh, why didn't God stop Hitler from bombing us? Why didn't God stop Hitler from taking power in Germany, right? Why didn't God stop whatever? Why didn't God stop fill in the blank? We still hear that today. Why didn't God stop that? So if all things are possible with God, why didn't God stop that? Okay, so C.S. Lewis said there's two kinds of impossible. There's two kinds of impossible. There's the first impossible that where the word unless comes in the same sentence. So the blue angels are flying over our our area today. I don't know if you've heard the blue angels will be flying over in the next I don't know hour or so. And it is impossible for me to see the blue angels fly because I'm inside my house. So it's impossible for me to see them fly unless I walk outside. And if I walk outside and look up, then I'll be able to see them. But where I'm at right now, it's impossible to see them. So for C.S. Lewis, there's the impossible, but that comes with an unless, right? Things are impossible right now unless we do something else. I hope that makes sense. But then there's some things that are just simply impossible, and there's no unless attached to it. Okay, and so for C.S. Lewis, here's what he had to say. Free will. It is impossible for God to give free will and then at the same time withhold free will. So if God gives us this gift of free will, if God gives the people of Germany the free will, the free will to elect Adolf Hitler as their dictator, God then can't withhold free will. God can't do both, right? Uh, So for C.S. Lewis, this is what he said. God cannot carry out two mutually exclusive alternatives because nonsense remains nonsense even when we talk about God. So these two mutually mutually exclusive alternatives. I'm going to give you free will, but then I'm going to withhold your free will. So that is what God, that is the impossible to say that, I'm going to allow you to do it, but I'm not going to allow you to do it, right? So 
So this is the free will that God gives us, the ability to make decisions, allowing us to do, to live our life. And so we uh, are tempted by Satan. We are tempted by the forces of evil. Uh, and God is with us through that. But every day we fail. Every day you and I fail. We might not fail at the heights that others fail, but we all fail. And so we all need to learn to rely on God's grace uh, and to believe that Jesus truly did die for our sins and, and to to do our best to not fail, uh, even though failure is uh, beyond our ability. Uh, but we can always become better, right? We can always become better with the Holy Spirit working in us. Uh, and so for C.S. Lewis, God is able to do all things, but two mutually exclusive alternatives is nonsense. And nonsense is nonsense, even when we talk about God. Uh, so I hope that helps. I know that that was that may not come across as clearly as I had hoped, uh, but that's uh, that's what what C.S. Lewis thought about divine omnipotence. Okay, we will stop there for today, and uh, we will close with a quick word of prayer. Uh, good and gracious God, we thank you for sending us Jesus. We thank you for the Messiah. We thank you for for him being with us, for his love for us, for him dying for us, for him forgiving us, for all the many uh, promises and blessings which uh, you have given us through him. Uh, we pray that you would uh, continue to be with those who are ill and continue to be with those who are working so hard to help them heal. Uh, grant them your strength and grant them your healing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. We will see you tomorrow with the C.S. Lewis Part 3.